beforehand, a couple of scriptures beforehand. But uh, I need you to go to Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26.3. You can, we'll come to Colossians in a moment. I apologize. But Jeremiah. I said Isaiah. Thank you. My Bible opened to Jeremiah. That's all I was thinking. Uh, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. So many verses about peace in the Bible. Going to look at a few of them and get a taste for what we're, we're going to see in Colossians chapter 3. Isaiah 26, 3, thou will keep him in what kind of peace? All right, now remember that. You underline those two words, a perfect kind of peace, whose mind, when our mind is stayed on God, when it's fixed on God, when it's anchored on God, because he trusteth in thee. So, God, thou will keep that person in perfect peace when their mind is stayed on thee. And the reason why we're able to stay in perfect peace is because we're trusting in God. All right, so... I want to say that the sincere, born-again, Bible-believing child of God has a priceless treasure available to them, something the entire world can never experience their entire life, and that is called the peace of God. The United Nations was formed to try and find peace between all of the nations of the world. Buddhism is totally dedicated to helping people find peace within themselves. I did some research, and a huge percentage of people in Europe rely on mood-stabilizing drugs. The percentage is 25%. I'm sorry, 20%. I'm going to get 25% in a second. 20% of people in Europe rely on mood-stabilizing drugs to give them some sort of sense of peace. Another percentage beyond that rely at least on sleeping pills and on the ability to sleep at night. 5%, so 25% of the population is known to need something to help them to sleep or to help them not panic. A quarter of the population of Europe needs help not panicking, not being anxious, not not worrying. <clears throat> they need help with it. Now, um, the gospel brings the gift. It is a gift to have rest and peace and calm. So I want to ask, ask four questions and answer four questions tonight. One is, what is the peace of God? What does it feel like? How do Christians experience it? And what goes along with it? So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just teach us tonight. Help us to hear it and not make it information. But let it show us how to experience and let the peace of God just roll over us. Like a good breeze. Like a wave of the ocean. Lord, it's there. If we would believe it, just like salvation is there for every person, if they would just believe it, you don't have to work it up. But if we could believe it, we can experience it. So help us to believe with all our heart that you purchased for us perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's get a little bit of background here. There are two kinds of peace for the Christian. The first one is called being at peace with God. All right, we'll talk about that in a second. The second one is having the peace of God. Now, salvation, the the the, the uh, um, strong Bible word for salvation is the word justification, where God makes you righteous. Salvation or justification is when we made peace with God. Romans five one now. Romans five and verse one. Now notice, it does not say what I'm about to read, okay? Romans 5.1. 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have the peace of God. It doesn't say that, does it? No, it starts off with something far more important than being at peace. We go to a, uh, uh, um, we go to a um, um, graveyard, and a lot of places on the gravestones it says, "May he rest in peace." May she rest in peace. All right. Well, the Bible says that is not as important as resting in peace is not as important as having being at peace with God. That's what salvation is. It says your Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, salvation is what Jesus did to bring you to God. We were enemies of God. We were at war with God, even though we may have been compliant. We may have been nice. We may have been uh, obedient. We may have gone along with our parents and just, just never gotten into trouble. But in our heart of hearts, we were rebels. And we were the enemies of God until the day we were born again. And then you come along and Jesus, the mediator, took two enemies, God and me, and brought us together, made us family. You're in Romans chapter 5, look down at verse 10. Romans 5 and verse 10. I'll start in the very back here. Uh, uh, Miss Kathy, if you don't mind, Romans 5, 10, please. I like that. Reconciled to God. Reconciled. Think, when do you, what do you think of when you hear the word reconciled? Okay. Excellent. Anybody else see? Reconciled. Yes, Andrew? Two warring factions. Exactly. Reconciled. I mean, anybody who did, if you remember about 30 years ago, you had this guy named Kissinger. What was his first name? Who? Henry. Henry Kissinger. He, uh, was going back and forth doing a, a, a kind of diplomacy that was trying to bring peace in the Middle East, trying to bring two warring factions, two warring nations together, reconciling all their difference. Well, Jesus accomplished it. Colossians chapter 1 now, Brother Dan. Colossians 1, verse 20. Colossians 1, verse 20, 21 and 22. Start in verse 20, please. I'm sorry. 20, 21, and 22. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, Amen. by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they go to things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by the same person, yet now have been reconciled in the body of his flesh and death, and present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable. Amazing. Made peace between two enemies. Reconciled. Did you know the truth is no Christian can become the enemy of God? You're in the family. Now, you may be in trouble with God, but you can't be his enemy. Because that it's, it's the truth of the security of salvation. You were, past tense, the enemy of God. Now you're in the family of God. Salvation made peace with God. Uh, but that's only half of the Christian life. I, I was brought into the Christian life by salvation. But is that all there is to being, being a Christian? Just being saved? Come on, talk to me. Most people who come on Sunday mornings to this church, this Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, hymn-singing church, most people in this church believe that's all there is to being a Christian. 
They believe that all they have to do is get saved. And then that's all. No, there's another half to the Christian life. What is it? What's it called? Well, yeah, we're getting there. But we can't have the peace of God until I'm actively in the second half of, of, of the Christian life. Thank you. It is sanctification. All right. Sanctification allows for us to experience the peace of God. I, 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 Jesus made it possible for me to experience peace with God. I no longer am his enemy. But how do I experience the peace of God? That is what sanctification is for. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is you daily choosing, and we use the verses there in Colossians chapter 3 that says, put off, put off, put away, put down the old habits, the old ways of thinking, the old loves, and then put on the new attitudes, the new and right ways of thinking. And I daily am having to choose between which outfits to wear as we've gone through. Am I going to wear my bad attitude or am I going to wear my Christ-like attitude? Am I going to wear my lustful eyes or am I going to wear my guarded eyes? Am I going to wear my freewheeling tongue or am I going to wear my controlled and chaste tongue? So I choose that and my sanctification is when I choose right. When I choose to read my Bible... When I choose right, it sanctifies me. It, it, it'll either keep me out of trouble or it will clean me up after I've gotten in trouble. Amen? So, uh, in, um, salvation cleaned you. Justification washed you. It changed your destination from a hell-bound sinner to where? Changed it to heaven. So salvation changed your direction where you're going when you die. But the world still soils us. Go to John chapter 13, Gospel of John chapter 13. I'll read this just for efficiency here. Gospel of John chapter 13. How you remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? How many of you remember that illustration? Okay, there are about six big truths that are taught through that scenario. Serving one another, ministering to one another, um, uh, praying for one another. But there is something that maybe you've not seen before, and that is your Christian walk in the world and how you get your feet dirty. Go to, uh, we're in John chapter 13, verse 5. John 13, 5. And after, and that, after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Was he washing their hands? No. Was he washing their face? No, was he washing their legs and their 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 necks? And no, he was washing their feet. Um, verse six. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Are you really going to wash my feet? Now, evidently, maybe he had really stinky feet. I don't know, but he's like embarrassed that Jesus, the Lord of heaven, would wash his feet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now. But thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Well, that's true. Thou shalt, I, I, obviously, I don't know what you're doing. Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter, I like how he just concludes. He says, Well, Lord, don't stop at my feet. Then wash every part of me. Wash my hands and my head. And that's a good idea. Peter says, Well, if you've got to wash me to be with you, then wash away. And Jesus saith unto him, verse, verse 10, He that is, is washed, and they were washed, Already, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, ye are not all 
cleaned. And he's speaking of, of Judas. Now, the point is this. Uh, um, in in, the, in the, the life of the Christian, you're washed, you're cleansed, you've been made whole. But just like if you were to walk barefoot or if you had sandals and you walk on dusty roads and you go from A to B, and they walked everywhere, normal people, very few people had animals that they rode on. Almost nobody had a chariot or the ability to be high and lifted off of the ground. Everybody walked everywhere. So when they got somewhere, guess what was the first thing you did when you got into a home? You washed your feet. You would, oh, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, yeah, yeah. And if you were a wealthy homeowner, you had a servant who was there washing your feet for you. What a, what a, what a wonderful feeling that would be. But the fact is, as you're going along from place to place, you got your feet dirty. And then that what happens in our life. We go through life and we just end up, at the end of the day, we go, not that you're unsaved, but you feel like you're dirty. And so the washing of the feet. So every believer needs to be washed daily. That's why John, 1 John chapter 1 says, uh, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving who? We're deceiving ourselves. Not that John, now John is including himself, not that John's saying, oh, I guess I'm a sinner. Oh, I guess I'm lost. No, he's not saying that you're lost, but we still sin. But it's, it's as if saying, it's only affecting my feet. That's why it says, in verse 9, it says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it is a daily, somebody says, why do I have to ask forgiveness if I'm already forgiven? Because you still get dirty. And you feel it, you sense it, and as far as God's concerned, I'm justified. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not sanctified. I'm not clean. I'm, I'm justified, but boy, it should be nice just to be real with God and get it all out in the open and get it under the blood. And that's what needs to take place. So, but the point is this. The peace of God is available to how many believers? Every single person on this planet who's born again. But... If you hold on to any of the previous items, go back to Colossians. Now we finally get to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. If you hold on to fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, lust, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. If you hold on to any of that... Run down to verse 8. Now that you put off all these things as well, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying, if you hold on to any of those things, you will not experience the peace of God. Would that be sensible? Does that make sense? So, if I'm living in rebellion to the Word of God, you may you may be acting like you're agreeing with me, you may be sitting there nodding your head, but in your heart, if you are in rebellion against what you know that the Bible says for you to do, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. And the Bible says, there is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked. So, so you say, why don't I experience the peace of God? Well, maybe because there's still anger, wrath, malice, uh, covetousness, something is still ruling your heart. And you're going to have to get rid of it. If you keep remembering, if you keep bringing up the past, if you keep collapsing by the same principles that defeated you 20 years ago and they're still defeating you now, you're never going to experience the peace of God until you mortify, put off, and defeat these things that were put away at the cross. So, 
Your focus, my focus, needs to put those things off because once you put them off, then you will experience the peace of God. So, looking at chapter 3, he says, verse 8, 9, put off these things. Verse 10, and put on the new man, and he starts to list these things. Verse 12, uh, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. You start putting on right attitudes. Verse 14, above all these things, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and guess what? Now you can let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are called in one body and be ye thankful. So, what is the peace of God? All right, the peace of God, there are some things it's not. First of all, it is not the peace of man. Nobody can give it to you. Nor is it the peace of nothingness. Like, like some people, a lot of people I talk to at the door, they say, ah, when you die, it's over. You just go to the hole in the ground. That's what they wish. Do you know what it's going to be like to wake up in hell? You will never know one second of peace for the rest of eternity. So a lot of people are, have a false hope that when they die, that it's over. They'll finally be able to rest and done. That's why suicide is a stupid option. Why? Because you're not stopping anything. You're not um, uh, escaping anything. You are stepping out of what may be hell on earth into an eternal hell. So, um, it's not the peace of nothingness. I'll show you what it is. It has it has such glory. Go to Mark chapter 4. Uh, Brother Eric, <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. Think you can handle that? Got to find Mark 4 first. That's right. <laughs> Mark chapter 4, it's in the New Testament. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 down to 41. Now, I'm going to say this, Eric. They asked the wrong question. They asked the wrong question. Their question was, how can this man command the wind and the seas when they should have said, how could he have been asleep? (laughs) They had to wake him up. The peace of God is so glorious. Uh, we see here, we see here some little ships. I like, I like the word, he says, little ships, all right? When you're in a storm, what's the one thing you want? A big ship, all right? A mighty Titanic, except when icebergs are around. So these little ships are trying to cross, cross an eight-mile stretch of the Sea of Galilee during the middle of the night. And a massive storm comes out of nowhere, maybe 70, 80, 90 mile-an-hour winds gusting. The waves are beating against the ship, filling it and actually sinking it. And looks like they're about to die. When men who live on the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, they fished at night. It was the way of life. 
They were never scared of storms. They were not normally, but this one terrified them. They thought they were going to die. And then there was this Jesus. I'll tell you what the, what the peace of God looks like. It looks like that. In the part of the ship, it's the back of the ship. The front of the ship is the lightest part of the ship. Now, I don't understand Tony and, and other people can, can explain about ships and things like this, but Jesus is not at the front of the ship, which is normally a little bit higher than the back of the ship. Jesus is asleep in the deepest sinking part of the ship, in the back and the hindermost part. And, and there he is. He is asleep. He's at rest. He is fast asleep. He's able to not only be asleep, but he's like me. He's able to stay asleep. Amen. Unless it's Chloe crying in the middle of the night. I don't know. I'm waking up more and more these days. He's not faking it. Do you see that Jesus is not acting like he's asleep? He really is asleep in that storm. Why is he asleep? Is he asleep because he's God? No. What did God do when he became a man? He stopped. Jesus stopped being God. Understand what I'm saying? And became a man, and he stopped relying on his deity, and he relied on the Holy Spirit, just like we're supposed to. And as a man, he had to trust and rest, just like you and I do, and he was able to do it to the place where he was able to sleep in the storm. Okay, so Jesus was asleep in the storm and in danger, and peace feels like and looks like the ability to sleep through a storm without worry. So, Darren, why did Jesus get up and rebuke the wind? Why did he command the sea to be calm? Why did he do that? It's a trick question. Now you got it. He did, would Jesus, could Jesus have just turned over and says, guys, it's going to be okay? Could he have said that? Yes. But instead he says, guys, let me show you what peace looks like. You think because the world is collapsing and everything's going to hell in a handbasket that you need the, the, the wind to stop and you need the waves to be calm before you're calm. No, you don't. Now, I can make everything calm, can you not? But he doesn't for us all the time, does he? So the outside storm doesn't have to change. But he can make it so that inside you can go, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. So the peace of God is glorious. Um, <clears throat> so is the peace of God the absence of a storm? Because <laughs> we want there to be no storm. Is the peace of God, does it require the cessation or the... Uh, the, the removal of danger. No, the peace of God doesn't need any of that because the peace of God gives us assurance even though we're at the edge of danger. That's how come people were able to walk up to a chopping block in France, Huguenots. People are able to walk straight up to a post and allow evil men to tie them up there and then they sing while they light the the, uh, the base of that stake. And they would die singing. Why were they able to do that? Because they had the peace of God. They had something 
that is available to every Christian, but most of us are struggling with so much sin, so much past, so much history, so much carnality, that we never know that, you know what, if I just put this thing off, and I will be able to let the peace of God rule my heart instead of that worry. Does worry have a great power over most of us? Nod your head. Does fear have a great dominating power over most of us? Of course it does. My wife and I, we've, we've been here in 24 years. Um, uh, uh, Brother Lauser and his wife and family have been there. Brother Dan and Kathy. We've been in a situation where we feared a letter from immigration saying you have to go home. That's a terrible fear. Now, we got it fixed, amen? We got it where they have to keep us now, amen? But there is, there, fear has a way of ruining your day. So this, this peace of God is available even though you might get a letter saying you got to go home. Uh, what does it feel like? Um, well, hold on to that for a second. It just feels like there's nothing to do except rest. 99.9999999% of all people need massive amounts of prescription drugs to be able to rest when they're in panic. Yet a Christian can let it happen. Hear the word? Let? I love that word. Go back to Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. Just, just, it's, it, you just, you, can you let the wind blow and, and cool you? Let the waves just take you out into the middle of the lake. I think I told you the story of, I got to preach for two or three weeks. I think it was just two weeks, two Sundays. Uh, up in a, in a state called Maine. Kind of funny that people called themselves maniacs. I wasn't sure about that till I got there, but why? But anyway, up in Maine, they, they put me in a log cabin. Uh, uh, the pastor was going to be away, and he asked me to preach for him for two Sundays, if I remember correctly. So they, they allowed me to stay in this log cabin. No electricity and no running water. You, you, you had to prime and use a real pump to have water. Uh, the toilet was down the hill about 50 feet. So if you, you know, if you had to time it. <laughs> so, but in the morning, I, I noticed how calm it was in the morning. And I said, I'm going to get out. They, they left a boat there. And at 6 a.m. for about three days in a row, I got out in that boat and I rolled out at, at sunrise. I got out in the middle of that, that lake and it was just so peaceful. And I could hear the meadow larks and you could, I actually could hear people Hundreds of meters away in their, in their cabins around the lake, getting up and talking. It was really eerie, the kind of peace that was in the middle of that lake. And I sat there for hours reading. It was amazing. I didn't have to do anything. I just experienced it. I couldn't stand up and go, everybody shut up! No, no, no. There was peace already there. I just let it happen. And that's available to the believer. So what kind of peace is it? Let's go to John chapter 14 now. Coloss- uh, John and Miss uh, Allison. John chapter 14, verse 27. So whose peace are we trying to tap into? 
My peace I'm leaving for you. Let's look at another one. Look at also at chapter 16, verse 23, please. Nope, wrong verse. 33, please. <laughs> Should be 33. So, 1633. I read it wrong. I, my, I have 23, but it should be 33. So guess where I am right now? According to that verse, and according to... 2 Corinthians 5.17. And you, well, yeah, we're living in the world, but if any man be, ah, and he says that in me, you're going to have peace. Isn't that good? So he's telling the disciples now, what is he preparing them for? For a world that's going to persecute, hunt, and kill them. And he says, it's going to be okay. Isn't that cool? All right. Uh, so this is Jesus's peace. This isn't something that's, you know, uh, it's just a religious kind of peace. Secondly, it is perfect peace. Let's see. John, you can quote it for us. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So it's not just that will keep him in peace, but it's in perfect peace. There are people who pay mega money to go to seminars and 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 conferences to find peace. They pay good money for what you got for free in Christ. Third, it is found in the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17. Brother Tony, Romans 14, 17. like that. So the kingdom of God is peace. It's peace. So the kingdom of this world, that's why Jesus in in Matthew 5, what kingdom was he teaching about? Was he talking about the kingdom where he's ruling and reigning with a mighty fist and and an iron, uh, 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 with a rod of iron from Jerusalem? What kingdom was Jesus preaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Yes, he was actually two kingdoms, but the one that he was inviting them into was a kingdom of peace and of righteousness, not food and drink and wars, but a king, the kingdom of God. So it is, it is a, this, this peace is only found for believers who are in the kingdom of God. And lastly, I want to say this, it is unfathomable. Dina, uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And tell me what careful means when you read this. Right, so what does careful mean? Okay, but in what way? Hmm? 
Thinking about it in what way? Worrying. We'd say full of care. So careful is just a shorthand for full of care or full of concern, full of panic and worry. So how much should I worry about? All right. Now, it's not that you don't have concerns. I mean, your kids, you call them and they don't respond, all right? You go find out where they're at, okay? But there is something where I don't have to panic. So be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. So I pray. And, and what happens? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, it protects our heart, doesn't it? All right. So it is, you'll never understand the peace of God. You'll never be able to fathom um, just the, the length, the breadth, the width, the height. You'll never be able to grasp how it's working, but you'll just be able to sit and just watch it roll over you and just comfort you and just say, it's going to be okay. So, how do we let it happen? If the Bible says, let the peace of God, well, it is a byproduct of the work of the Holy Spirit on a consecrated and clean Christian. Does the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has two works. One is to convict of sin, doesn't it? Does the Holy Spirit just let people feel comfortable in their sin, yes or no? No. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict you when you are sinning. But another work of the Holy Spirit is when you get right, it is to fill you. Who can quote Galatians 5.22? Come on. Huh? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Just, just stop with that word. So when the Holy Spirit is finally allowed to work in my life, not just convict me of sin, but as I respond to it, and I yield to, um, uh, um, in, in obedience to, to the, the life of the Christian, and I get right with God, and I confess it and forsake it, all of a sudden, fruit starts to appear. It's a, it's a byproduct of his work in my life. I have peace. Secondly, God expects us to get the hard part over. You know what the hard part over? Putting off the old man. Now, Jesus died to unplug the old man, but I like the old man. I keep him around. You know that? I, I... I still have the old habits. And every once in a while, in my flesh, I bring up the old me. Do you do that? Of course you do. So, when I am working at putting off the old me and putting down and putting away the old me, that's the hard part. Then he'll reward me with the most precious thing that I need overall. And that is perfect peace. That is the reward. That is the byproduct of me saying, Lord, it is hard for me to put down the drink. It is hard for me to put away anger. It's hard for me to get over a hurt. But when I do that, there is a reward. There's a, there's a result, and that is the peace of God that, that's beyond my understanding. It's so easy at that point to let the peace, this peace, roll over us like a wave of the sea. It just, it just happens. And, uh, look for it and, and really, when you're in church and you're praising God and, and the preaching is right and you're saying, yes, Lord, he's right. Lord, forgive me. All of a sudden, start looking around because the peace of God is there filling you at that moment. And when you're at home and you're struggling and you go to the side of your bed or you go into some room and you say, God, I'm getting out of control. I'm losing it. Please forgive me. Help me to stabilize. Help me to trust in you. Help me to do right. The peace of God is right there with you and you can walk back into that storm and you can write it out. And now he's very specific. Go back to Colossians. And he says, you're not just going to have the peace of God. 
You need to let the peace of God rule where? Good. You know, to rule your heart means to govern or umpire or referee everything that goes on in your heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I could actually tell when the peace of God is in control or when it's not in control? Wouldn't it be wonderful I could actually tell that? But I can. I just have to be sensitive to go, wow, I'm not at peace about this. I tell people who will come and they'll say to me, should I do this or do that? I'd say, do you have peace about it? Do you have peace about it? That's one of the ways you tell. If if there's full uh, concerns and worries, I don't know, I don't know, then put it off. If you're not sure, uh, uh, don't just rush into it. Don't just, just you know, well, I got to do it. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because the peace of God can umpire. You know what an umpire is, don't you? Who knows? Who knows? Give me another word for an umpire. Or where do rump, where do umpires operate? In sports, when 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 a player is 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 doing something and it's you know they're looking to see was he on the line or was he out in in tennis? Don't they have umpires? Or what are they? What are they called when they're on the line and watching that line? What are they called, Bill? Linesman, okay, all right. But a linesman's like an umpire, and guess what that linesman is? He's the absolute authority. The lineman says, out! Then it's out. If the linesman says, it's in! The ball or the tennis ball is in, then, boy, you see uh, uh, one of those uh, tennis players, and they go, no, he was out! And the linesman, if the linesman says he was in, it's in. That's the governing authority of that match. You better, you watch the, the uh, soccer match, and there, there are those players going back and forth. And what are those guys that have the, the striped outfits? What are they called? They're not out of prison. What are those guys called? Well, they're called referees. Okay. And the referee is not just somebody who likes to blow a whistle. The referee is not just somebody who, who's watching along. That referee sees infractions and is in charge of that field and can call out somebody and give them a yellow flag or give them a red flag. They have power, don't they? They rule that field. And guess what? The Bible says the peace of God can rule your heart. I like that phrase. So we can let the peace of God help us decide how to react to our problems, our afflictions, our disasters, and our stress. Imagine that. If we would just let the peace of God rule... And by the way, <clears throat> I think the peace of God is a whole lot better than yoga. Yoga, listen, I know a lot of people are desperate to be able to relax, and I understand all that. But yoga tries to get people to dwell in this realm of peace without actually depending upon God for it. That's why it's dangerous. Because yoga can get you into the realm of demonic rule over your heart instead of God's rule. Not that everybody's into yoga is into demon possession and de- demonic activity. I'm just telling you, all of those Eastern things, they have power and get people to meditate, get people to relax and breathe. And I understand all that. But we already have an answer, amen, that takes away all care. I guarantee you, it's a little bit harder than just going home for 25 minutes. Now, finish up. Colossians chapter 3, the same verse. He goes on, verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let it rule. Let it be in charge. To the which ye are called in one body. That This is the byproduct of the peace of God. It's called unity. Go to Ephesians. Go back a few pages. Ephesians 4, 4. Billy, Ephesians 4, 4, please.
Okay, we're called to one body. We're called to one life together as a church. We're going to spend an awful long time together, Bill. You know that? That's a terrifying thought. <laughs> I guess I got to love you. We will be, <laughs> we will be reconciled. Amen. So the purpose and the calling of every part of a church is just like every part of a body. Now, I'm, I'm not a great bodybuilder, okay? But when you, when those guys reach down and they pick up 300 kilos, 500 kilos, and they lift that thing up and then over them and they hold it up, do you know how many muscles are involved? How many bones? How many tendons? How many blood vessels? Everything is working together, aren't they? That's what a church is. We're called not to just happily go lucky and come together on a Sunday and have good singing and good preaching and good tea and coffee and scones. We're called to pull together and to carry burdens. That's what we're called to do. And when you can't do that when everybody's stressed out. There is no unity when everybody's coming in and they're not able to rest and they're not able to be at peace and they're struggling with sin and they're struggling with the past and they're struggling with the thoughts. Let me tell you, we're not called to live there. We're called to struggle and win there so that we can be at peace and we can work together as one body and we can turn the world upside down. Amen. You don't have to have 500 people. You need five who walk with God and have unity. And uh, it doesn't take... Jesus used 11. So look at Psalm 133, uh, Adelina. Psalm 133, verse 1. It's wonderful when we're all unified, when we all have the same heart. Just, just there's unity. How good and how pleasant it is. We're called to that. That is our calling, our first purpose as believers. Say, what am I called to do, pastor? Am I supposed to be a missionary? Am I supposed to be a pastor? Am I supposed to be a pastor's wife? Am I supposed to be a teacher? You know, your first calling is to have the peace of God so that you can be a part of a church in unity. When there is unity in a church, there's people being called after that into the ministry. That's the emphasis is to my calling, your calling, is to make sure we get along together under this book. So be careful when there's a spirit of murmuring, complaining, division in a church. Who's going to come along and try to dissolve and divide a church? Satan does. That's his work. He's the author of confusion. So when that starts happening, you got to say, you know what? We gotta be careful of that. We gotta, we gotta maintain unity under the Bible, not that we throw away the Bible. A lot of people just want unity, but that's not what we're looking at. We're looking about watching a spirit of murmuring. Was there a time when Israel, when they were out in the wilderness and they started complaining, was that a good time or a bad time? Why was it bad, Nita? <laughs> and what did God warn? They were going to die. He was dead serious about them complaining and murmuring and the division that was happening because it turned them against Moses and it turned them against who? Against ultimately against God. Okay, so let's try to finish it and be thankful. Colossians 3.15. I know this took a little longer. I just wanted to finish. We're just doing one verse. <laughs> but look at Colossians 3.15. The end of the verse it says, And be ye 
thankful. Look down to verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Thankfulness is when you take notice of things you're appreciative of. When you're indebted for, wow, I owe you for that, thank you. Or when you're grateful or glad about something. Did you know it is unnatural for different parts of the same body to war against each other? It is unnatural that this arm would beat this arm. That's unnatural. Would you agree? And it's just as unnatural in the spiritual realm for Christians in a church to be fighting one another. This is such a neglected command. It should not be a rare event for Christians to be thankful. It ought to be natural. But isn't it true? It has to be trained into us. I mean, here, somebody somebody gets something. I don't know what this is. It looks cool. And and says, here, what does mommy tell you to do when somebody gives you something? I say, thank you. Okay. So it has to be trained into us, doesn't it? To be thankful. I think we need some new training. Would you agree? Because we don't thank people. Not like we should. Uh, thankfulness, it'll be natural for us to be thankful to God. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you look out at that sky, you ought to say, I'm alive, and Jesus could come back today, I'm saved. You should be able to think of 50 things in 10 minutes that you're thankful for. That ought to be natural. And to other people, honestly, simple things. People ought to be, when they're around you, they ought to think they're appreciated around you. Just little things they do for you. So, uh, what great good would come from God's people being a grateful people? What great good? Kathy, what are you thankful for? Amen. Praise the Lord. Do you think you could come up with 50 things if I left you with a piece of paper? Of 50 things you could be thankful. I get, I bet you if I gave you 30 minutes, you'd come up with 100. But you gotta do it, don't you? It is very important that you start to have, I mean, it's a command that's so easily neglected. And be ye thankful. So, what helps me be thankful? The peace of God. It actually, boy, when I just let the peace of God rule, I can start to find myself being thankful for every little thing. So, all right, questions. Real quick, number one, what is the priceless treasure available to every believer? I can't hear you. Raise your hand. The peace of God. What is it to have peace with God? What does that mean? Is it the absence of a storm? Marcus. All right, well, that's the peace. Thank you. I was asking the wrong question. That's right. The peace with God is salvation, is is justification. Exactly. Now, my mind's ahead of you. What is the peace of God? Need it. Good. Not having to have the storm changed for my heart to be at rest. What does it feel like? Somebody describe for me the peace of God. Go ahead and eat again. Rest. Trust. Calmness. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Five. How do Christians experience it? Mm. Oh, well, no. 
It is a byproduct. Uh, it, yes, sir. Yes. True. You're, and it is me putting off the old me, and the reward when I put off the old me, when I put it down, when I put it away, mortify it, all of a sudden the peace of God comes in and I need to just let it rule. Whereas before, my sin was ruling my heart. Amen? Now the peace of God is ruling my heart. Five, last one. What will the peace of God enable us to do? We listed two things. What were they? All right, I'll be able to rest. Yes. Um, But I was looking for two other things. (laughs) It will allow us to be in unity. The peace of God will allow us to be in unity. What what were you going to say, Bill? Bill, come tribulation. Well, there are lots of things I I just didn't mention. But one other thing is it will allow us to be grateful and thankful. The peace of God just, it just stops you so that you can pay attention. When you're panicking, what are you worried about? One thing. But when you're at rest, you can be observant of everything. All right? Any questions? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can have this and we claim it tonight. Just like we can claim Jesus for our Savior, we can claim the peace of God. But there is some work we got to do. Salvation doesn't cost us anything. We don't have to do anything to get saved. But in order to experience the peace of God, we need some help putting off the old us. And it doesn't go away too easily. But we have a, a reward for that effort. And we need to treasure it. And we need to yearn for it because we need it. And I pray that the peace of God would become a priceless treasure in every life here tonight. That we take it very seriously and say, Lord, help me protect that peace. Let me not just throw it away in order to run after some temptation or some old way of living. Help me hold on to it. And teach me to be thankful. And teach me how to be at unity with one another and not at odds. Thank you for this wonderful scripture stuck into this little book waiting to be discovered tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.